If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And also have your Trinity hymnal available uh, to be glancing at the Apostles' Creed every now and then. It's found on page 845. Well, if you remember um, a while back when we started our series from the Gospel of Mark, it was because there was widespread ignorance and confusion about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we followed that up um, a while later with a series from the letter to the Galatians because there was and is widespread ignorance and confusion about the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And here we are now well over halfway in our series on the Apostles' Creed And one of the reasons why we're doing this is because there is widespread ignorance and confusion about the basics of the Christian faith. Today we're going to be looking at the doctrine of the forgiveness of sins. And there is great ignorance and major confusion, both of what sin is and is not, and what forgiveness is and is not. If you read the preparing for worship uh, email that went out on Friday, you may have noticed um, I commented on the fact that today, if you listen to the news, and in particular if you were paying attention to news that even though it happened outside of northern Kentucky, was actually focused on northern Kentucky, you heard expressions like this, no forgiveness, forgive, never or the comment of a rather influential Hollywood producer, movie maker, documentary um, writer said this, no one need ever forgive him. Really? Imagine life without forgiveness. Just for a moment, imagine no forgiveness. I don't know about you, but it's hard to imagine that. Because even though we probably take forgiveness for granted, we will see today it is such a gift from the hand of God. You see, forgiveness, people think it's either too easy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about that, coined an expression, cheap grace in his magnificent work, The Cost of Discipleship. Or, people think that it's just too difficult. It's either too easy on the one hand or too difficult on the other. Or, people think forgiveness is not needed on the one hand or it's not available on the other. Now my friends, being in a state of ignorance and confusion is not a good place to be. But by God's grace... Today, as we spend some time in His Word, we will move out of that state of ignorance and confusion and to more into clarity and knowledge. And to that end, let's pray and ask for His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, would You be pleased to instruct Your gathered people on this glorious 
truth that we find not only declared in your word, but we find experienced in our lives. Forgiveness of sins. Oh, Father, would you be pleased to drive home the truth of your word? Enable us to rest in it today and all our days until we end up being in that place where there is no need any longer to confess sin nor to be forgiven. Until then, Father, strengthen us to walk by faith and not by sight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're here at uh, number 12 in our series, Christian, What Do You Believe? An Exposition of the Apostles' Creed. As we've been saying, these creeds, they are subordinate to and under the authority of Scripture, but they are so helpful. They are almost as being a summary of the scriptures, they're an index of the scriptures. They're the cliff notes of the scriptures. They are helpful because they organize and summarize the teaching. And for those of us who do not have infinite mental capacity to bring together all the scripture all of the time, they are very, very helpful. They're like markers. They're flags. And when we when we hear this expression or that expression, our minds can go to various scriptures that support that. I believe, when we say I believe, I believe, I believe, it does not mean that we have faith in the faith, but we have faith in the faith, the faith that's been given to the saints, to God's people once and for all. As we've been walking our way through the Apostles' Creed, we're seeing that this creed helps promote personal humility. It helps serve to commend the faith, to promote the faith, but also to defend the faith. And as we say, I believe together, not only does it promote personal humility, but it promotes corporate church unity because we're saying we believe the same things. There are many things, of course, that we do not know, but there are certain things that we do know for sure, without a doubt, things that anchor our lives and power our lives. And we see in the Apostles' Creed Glorious truths of Scripture that indeed anchor our lives and power our lives. We've already been looking at God the Father, God the Son, and a few weeks ago we started with God the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at the creating work of the Father, the rescue work of the Son, and the recreating work of the Holy Spirit. As we are now in this section on the Holy Spirit. We've moved from the accomplished work of Jesus to the application of that work by the Holy Spirit. You may have heard me say last week or the week before that these last clauses of the Apostles' Creed is a job description of the Holy Spirit, the quiet but powerful work of the Holy Spirit. We've seen how the Holy Spirit creates this new community, the church. Today we're going to see about this new relationship through forgiveness, a new existence next week through the resurrection, and a new destiny finally in looking at everlasting life. Here we see the community of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, and the hope of the Spirit. Take a look at the Trinity Hymnal Table of Contents sometime again. You will see 
that it starts off really with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then followed by immediately the church. And then you will see that is followed by the way of salvation and the Christian life, somewhat unfolding as the way the Apostles' Creed unfolds. For the last two weeks, we've looked at the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And today, we begin the last three topics, forgiveness, resurrection, and everlasting life. Our anchor text this morning is 1 John 1, 5. We heard it already once as we introduced our time of corporate confession of sin, but it's good to hear important things again and again and again. So join with me as I read verses 5 through 10 of the first chapter of John's first letter. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Well, for the next few minutes, we're going to unpack the clause, the forgiveness of sins, by acknowledging that when we affirm that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we are saying that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, that is, and here's your outline, proclaimed in the gospel, purchased by Christ, and possessed by faith. When we say we believe in the Forgiveness of sins, what we mean is it's the forgiveness of sins that is proclaimed in the gospel, purchased by Christ, and possessed by faith. First, I believe in the forgiveness of sins proclaimed in the gospel. Well, what is sin? Before you can understand forgiveness, we have to understand sin. Westminster Shorter Catechism 14 has a great brief Definition of sin. Sin is, is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So in relationship to God as the lawgiver, sin is lawlessness. In relationship to God as the rightful ruler, sin is rebellion. In view of God being the creator, the designer, sin is missing the mark. In view of God being the rightful judge, sin is guilt. And in view of God being holy, the only righteous holy one, sin is uncleanness. Sin is universal and comprehensive. It infects our desires as well as our deeds, our attitudes and our actions. And as most of us know, as you see even in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, there are sins of omission, what we don't do, as well as sins of commission, what we do do. What is the result of sin? 
Paul sums it up well in Romans. The wages of sin is death. And we see that all the way back to Genesis 3 in the consequence of the fall. God's wrath is upon sin and sinners. But you know what is also a major consequence of sin? Is there is now a broken relationship between man and God. Isaiah 59.2, we read this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. So that you do not, so that he does not hear. And yet, we know there is good news. Good news in the midst of sin because there is forgiveness promised in the scriptures. Listen to how God, the holy, righteous, eternal, true, living God, listen how God describes himself. In Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, again, this is God describing himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's how God describes himself. Here's how the psalmist describes God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. We heard a moment ago from Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah again in 43.25. I, I am he who blots out your transgression. For my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. In other words, the omniscient God will no longer hold sins against his people. Of course, he will remember them and not forget them. But he does not hold it against the one forgiven. Here, another of the prophets from Ezekiel 36 in that great passage about a new heart, a new spirit. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your unclean, unclean, uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will clean you. I will forgive you. That's forgiveness promised, as it were, in the Old Testament. Let's think a moment now about forgiveness proclaimed in the preaching of the gospel. Turn with me back to Luke 24. Luke 24. Jesus has appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. And beginning in verse 44 of Luke 24, we read this. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus 
It is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Did you hear that? Jesus says this, for repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Well, it's always encouraging in Scripture to see people respond in obedience to the Lord. And so very quickly, I'm just going to run through a few passages in Acts. Beginning Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And I want you to listen to a common expression. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. If you turn over to Acts 5.31. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Over to 10.43. To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. 13.38 Let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And finally, at the end of Acts as Paul is before King Agrippa This is one of the things he says in Acts 26, verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you hear that? Jesus said, your mission is to proclaim forgiveness In me and through me. And throughout the book of Acts, that's what we hear. Forgiveness proclaimed in the preaching of the gospel. Notice that the Apostles' Creed speaks of the forgiveness of sins. It could have just said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, that sins are a big problem. No, It's true, yes, huge problem. But no, believe in the forgiveness of sins because the Scriptures are proclaiming the promise of forgiveness. The Scriptures declare that the promise of forgiveness is made, but also the promise of forgiveness is kept. Listen to what we sang at the beginning and what we heard read in our confession of sin. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel. Have you noticed that? Gospel preaching. Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection. Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection. For the forgiveness of sins. 
for the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is proclaimed in the gospel, but it's not just words, it's words about deeds. The deeds of Jesus Christ, because I believe in the forgiveness of sins purchased by Christ. Now, as we did with sin, we also have to ask and answer the question, what is forgiveness? The British author and theologian J.I. Packer says it very clearly and memorably when he says this. Forgiveness is pardon in a personal setting. It is taking back into friendship those who went against you, hurt you, and put themselves in the wrong with you. Forgiveness is personal. And we see that between God and man, and we see that between man and man. One word for forgiveness that Scripture's use is redemption. We heard it earlier from Ephesians 1.7, redemption through His blood, that is the forgiveness of sins. Scripture is bold enough to say, your rescue, your redemption is forgiveness. And Paul says the same thing in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. I think that's called an appositive Help me out, you English students, right? When, when an, another word is defined by another word right after that. Forgiveness, redemption. Redemption, forgiveness. Now, doesn't that make sense? Why was Jesus given the name Jesus? Remember, we've just celebrated Advent a month or so ago. You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their low self-esteem. He will save His people from their financial difficulties. He will save His people from not being well thought of in the world. He will save His people from what? He will save His people from their sins. We read in Matthew 1. 21. My friends, forgiveness is the means by which a broken relationship is restored. Forgiveness is compassionate, it's creative, and forgiveness is costly. Because in forgiveness, with forgiveness, someone has to pay, someone has to absorb the cost. Imagine the scenario. Two of you from this church are headed out quickly from the parking lot. Now, I don't know why you would want to do that, to leave quickly, but imagine you were. And imagine you guys wanted to be in the same place at the same time, right? And the cars collided. Imagine that. Or just imagine a neighbor of yours, you and I, that you run into each other, right? The car is damaged. Guess what? Somebody has to pay the cost. Either you pay the cost or somebody else pays the cost. And when the generous neighbor, even though it was your fault, even though the generous neighbor who maybe owns an auto body repair shop says to you, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. You don't pay, but he pays. 
You see, there is no cost-free forgiveness. Forgiveness is costly. And for the Christian, the forgiveness of sins is unbelievably costly. And it's paid from one location. It's paid from one incident. It's paid, of course, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Again, in a series like this, you can't say everything, but we need to say something. And the forgiveness of sins is absolutely, astronomically costly. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says it well. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That was referring to the Old Testament sacrificial system of bulls and goats and altars and sacrifices. But of course, it's pointing to the once and for all sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus. And Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, what did he say? This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus understood the cost of forgiveness. It's paid at the cross. Apart from, outside of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness. I appreciate what the author says in the book, in the article, What to Look For in a Church. It's a short article that shows up in our visitors' welcome and information folder. And he said, when it comes to sin, people either tend to try to work it off or blow it off. In other words, try to fix it themselves or ignore it and hope it goes away. But my friends, there's only one provision for our sins forgiveness. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's provision for our sin. Peter had it right. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Of course, this is Peter who thought that Jesus didn't know to didn't need to go to the cross. This is Peter who said, I don't know Jesus. Well, he's met the risen Jesus. He's been restored by the risen Jesus. He's been loved by the risen Jesus. And he says, there's no other way but Jesus. So we've briefly explored forgiveness proclaimed and forgiveness purchased. Okay, so how does that benefit you and me? How does that do anybody any good? Because we also believe in the forgiveness of sins possessed by faith. You see, my friends, forgiveness, just like everything in the Christian life, is by faith. John Calvin, in book three of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3 is entitled this, The way in which we receive the grace of Christ, what benefits come to us from it, and what effects follow. This is what he says in his introduction. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless. And of no value for us. 
So as long as Christ is outside us and we are separated from him, all that he has done for us, in particular, forgiving sins, is of useless, is useless and of no value to us. When we studied the book, the letter to the Galatians, we spent a lot of time on justification. Justification by faith. And our catechism says it well, that justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Did you hear that? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein, first of all, He pardons our sins. He forgives us. And how is that get to us? It's received by faith alone. It's received through faith alone. Justification is more than forgiveness, but it's certainly nothing less than forgiveness. In Mark 2, the paralytic heard the words that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He heard the words, get up, take your mat, and go home. He heard with his ears and mysteriously, with no human explanation available, he got up and left. That man demonstrated faith. His friends demonstrated faith. Because you see, forgiveness is by faith. It is believing the no better promise of John, 1 John 1. Look again with me. Put your eyes on 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive our sin, ourselves and the truth is not in us. Point one. Acknowledge our sin. Point two, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. There is objective guilt. We may be guilty of sin. There is subjective guilt. We may feel guilty of sin. There is objective forgiveness. You have been forgiven. There is subjective forgiveness. I don't feel forgiven. Well, when you confess your sin and you don't believe what God has said, then guess what? You've got another sin to ask forgiveness for. The sin of arrogance. My friends, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin like a sniper rifle shot. Piercing right to the heart, right to the point. The, the, the uh, accusation of the enemy is like a shotgun spray all over the map. You are bad. You're no good. The Holy Spirit, when you spoke those words, you hurt that person. When you took that which be- did not belong to you, you violated them. We need to be convinced of sin, but we also need to be convinced of forgiveness. Look with me at verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. 
and just. In other words, if we confess and turn to Christ, God has to forgive us. He's got to be just. He is the one who's just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ, as Paul writes in Romans 3. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, that is a promise to take to the bank. If we confess our sins, God will forgive us. So I want to continue by just briefly saying that forgiveness, possession by faith of forgiveness leads to several things. Possession leads, first of all, to praise. Look how Psalm 32 started. Blessed, what is it? How did Psalm 32 start? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's a blessed life. It leads to praise. David in Psalm 51, his forgiveness led to praise and proclamation. Not only that is the possession by faith of forgiveness leads to love. Luke 7. Remember Simon Peter could not understand why this woman was treating Jesus the way she was. Pouring perfume on his feet. Being extravagant. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, her, son, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. My friends, forgiveness leads to love. Think about the church quote of the week that was in the email. He has come into contact with that part of God's character which warms his cold heart. Forgiving love constrains him. Forgiveness has made him a free man and given him a new and most loving master. Forgiveness leads to love, loving God, but also loving neighbor because possession by faith of forgiveness leads thirdly to an ability and willingness to forgive. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, the Christian is someone who offers forgiveness to those who ask for forgiveness. Paul writes to the Colossian church, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. I would say it's impossible to forgive each other unless you have first known the forgiveness of the Lord. Because you're now free. Free to forgive. Free to love. And finally, possession by faith of forgiveness leads to peace. Peace with God. Peace with neighbor. It's the pardon that leads to peace. Because you see, the grace of forgiveness produces and leads to the peace of forgiveness. My friends, forgiveness is the glue and the oil of relationships. Forgiveness allows a husband and wife to stick together. And as they move around each other, it reduces friction. Forgiveness allows family members 
to stick together. And as they interact with one another, it lessens the friction. Forgiveness allows friends to stick together. And it reduces the friction. Forgiveness, of course, helps churches to stick together and to love one another. Forgiveness is glue and forgiveness is oil. Is it in your toolbox? Is it in your utility room? Is it in the words of one of my guys in the Navy, in your bag of tricks? The glue of forgiveness, the oil of forgiveness. So we've heard the proclamation, the purchase, and the possession of forgiveness. Let's wrap up. David Jackman, a British pastor, says this. If one has never seen oneself as a guilty sinner before a holy God and desperately in need of His forgiveness, then one cannot yet be a Christian. Wow. The forgiveness of sins is a comprehensive statement that Christians affirm. Because when we declare, affirm, confess that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we are making a comprehensive statement of our need for forgiveness, God's provision for our forgiveness. And finally, and in many ways, it's the accent and the emphasis, it's our assurance of forgiveness. We believe, really do, in the forgiveness of sins. And it's good news. My friends, Think about the assurance of forgiveness. Psalm 32, God is willing and able to forgive. Verse 5 is stunning. God is more ready to pardon sin upon our repentance than we are to repent in order to obtain pardon. God is more ready to forgive than we are to confess. Let that sink in and let that drive you to the throne of grace. Jesus wants us to know his forgiveness, to have the assurance of pardon, to have the assurance of forgiveness, to have the assurance of salvation. Mark chapter 2, your sins are forgiven. That is a declaration that that man was called to believe. So what do you mean when you declare, when you affirm that you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Well, you know, we quote often John Newton when he says this, When I was young, I was sure of many things. Now there are only two things of which I am sure. One is, I am a miserable sinner. And the other is that Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. He is well taught who learns these two lessons. The lessons of our sin and the forgiveness of of our sin. My friends, there is no better promise than the promise of 1 John 1.9 because there is no other Savior. I'm going to end by reading verse 2 of hymn 14 in Hymns Modern Ancient, which we will sing at the end instead of what's printed in the bulletin. 
It's called Before the Throne of God Above, and this is verse 2. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this glorious doctrine that emerges not just from the pages of Scripture, but a truth that emerges from Your heart. Oh God, we know that our sin has disrupted the relationship we have with You. We know that our sins disrupt the relationships we have with one another. But we thank You, God, that You did not leave us in our sin. You provided a way of escape. And the door that we are to run through has got the name of Jesus on it. So Father, help us together both individually and together as a church to run to the place, the only place where the forgiveness of sins is found. And oh, Father, help us to believe the truth of your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Father, we believe. Help us in our unbelief, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.